You can turn with me uh, to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be reading the first 11 verses. Uh, that's page 1247 in the uh, church Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your light, we see light. And so we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would send forth your light into our hearts, into our minds, that you would bend our wills towards your word, that we might receive it in faith and love, treasure it in our hearts and practice it in our lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, growing up in my house, uh, maybe some of you uh, children can resonate with this, uh, after every birthday, once the, the cards had been opened, the gifts had been unwrapped, the, the cash pocketed, uh, checks deposited, my mom would come along with a pile of thank you notes. And uh, during that whole time, she was always asking me, of course, in the, in the flurry, I was just focused on the gifts, but she was always saying, who's that from? What is that that you've got? And I'm just answering her, not really paying her any mind. Uh, and then when it was all done there, she would come with these notes and I would groan, oh, mom, why do I have to write all of these thank you notes? Um, I can say that now further along in life, I'm very grateful uh, for that discipline that my mom, my mom, my I acknowledge your goodness to me. And I thank you. And the letter of uh, Paul to the church at Philippi is exactly that. It is a letter of thanksgiving. He is writing to thank them. And, and it really is this extended note. And you, as we were reading this opening passage, I'm sure you could hear it, just this tone of joyful thanksgiving that permeates throughout. And Paul is thankful to these Christians at Philippi, and he's thankful ultimately to God who has joined them. And we see throughout this, there's this theme of partnership for the cause of Christ. Paul says in verse 5, he uses this phrase, your partnership in the gospel. And that really is going to be our theme this morning. Uh, as a campus minister at Rutgers University, I'm, I'm very much a missionary to that campus. And I'm very thankful uh, to join with this church and many other churches and individuals in partnership 
in the gospel. And so I want to think about this morning or think together about this theme of gospel partnership along three lines. First of all, uh, the quality of gospel partnership, its goal, and then finally, its source. First of all, let's think about the quality of their partnership. As I said, right, Paul breaks out in thanksgiving every time he thinks about the Philippians. And this leads him into prayer. And the thing that is driving all of this is, as he said in verse 5, that they share a partnership in the gospel. And that word partnership uh, in the original language is a very rich word. It has, has this idea of, of close participation, of collaboration towards a shared cause or a shared interest. Now for many of us, as you look out in society or consider your own life, there are many ways in which people can be joined and gathered around shared causes, around shared interests. Perhaps you've been a part of a, a sports team or some intramurals and your shared cause is to win. Or if you're at a certain point in your life, you just want to have fun. You don't really think you're going to do much winning. Uh, or you might be a part of a charitable organization to be gathered around this, this cause of meeting the needs of a specific group of people, providing food or health care or assistance. And there's a myriad of different groups, but all of them share this idea of partnership. And Paul is saying that he is thankful. He is filled with thanksgiving because the partnership that he has with this church is a partnership in the gospel. So what that means is that he and the Philippians are uh, joining together to, first of all, to proclaim the gospel. They want people to know that Jesus Christ is king. And that through his life and his death and his resurrection, he has broken the chains of sin and death. They're, together, they're dedicated to living out the gospel. Right? They want their lives to mirror and to reflect the life of Christ in holiness, in generosity, uh, in hospitality, in patience. And they're dedicated as well to speaking the gospel to one another. To spend time thanking God, as the psalmist says, to declare the wonderful works of of God. And all of these ways, they are joined and held together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a question to consider as you reflect on your relationships, as you reflect on your partnerships in life, is this, is what is the common interest that serves as the bond for most of your relationships? What, what would you say is the strongest point of contact uh, between you and most other people in your life? You know, for many people, uh, maybe the, the thing that connects them to others is, a, is, is nothing more than a shared interest in a sport or a team, right? If you go to a, a Yankees game, for example, right? All these people who don't know each other all of a sudden are just, it's like a whole organism <laughs> all joined around this shared cause of cheering for the Yankees or a TV show or a genre of music. For others, right, this bond goes deeper. Might be a bond of background. I'm from New Jersey, I know, I know a lot about you already because you're from New Jersey. Uh, there might be a, a background or a cause to shared commitment to a cause. And there's a place for these things. There are. It's good to have place and to have uh, meaningful relationships. But, but the partnership that Paul talks about, a partnership that is centered on the gospel, is much thicker. It's more rich. It's more deep. It's more abiding. And the reason this is so is because of the power of the gospel and all the all-encompassing nature of it. Think for a minute about what you share with other believers. You share the same Savior. 
the same one who lived and died and rose for you. You are indwelled by the same spirit. You are all temples of the living God. You share as well the same hope. All of us are looking forward for the same thing. We're desiring a new heaven, a new earth, when all things will be made new. Right? All of us are part of the same, fa- same family. God is our father. Christ is our brother. And the spirit is the one who is at work in us, renewing us into the family likeness. And there really is nothing more comprehensive than that. I remember one summer, I had brought a team of youth kids to help serve at a, uh, an inner city church in Newark. They do this uh, block party called Rock in the Block, and they, it's a way for them to just love on the community there. And this particular summer, there was a missionary team from South Carolina, and they stuck out like a sore thumb in the streets of Newark. They were a different accent, they looked different, they talked different, everything about them was different. And yet, there they were joined with these saints in Newark to minister to the community. And they were doing so, why? Because they shared a partnership in the gospel. A partnership that transcended uh, socioeconomic lines, that transcended ethnic background, that bonded them together for this common cause of seeing people loved in the name of Jesus. That's a powerful partnership. And so what does it look like? What are the qualities that should mark gospel partnerships? Well, I think there are at least three in these verses. And the first one is that gospel partnership requires consistency. Notice in verse 7, Paul says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Right, Paul is writing to these churches and he says he's thankful to them because they have been with him in all different circumstances. Right, Paul is saying it's right for me to be thankful for you because in times when I was unhindered, when I was able to proclaim the gospel without anyone blocking my way and when I was bound in chains, confined to a prison, you were steadfast in partnering with me. And now for Paul, at this moment, that meant financial contribution, right? At at the time when for Paul, it looked like he was being unproductive, sitting in prison. They continued to meet his needs, to continue to care for him. They did not cease to identify with him. And so in our gospel partnerships, there needs to be a great degree of consistency. But there are things that are hindrances to consistency. Just think of a couple of them. One of the hindrances to consistency is discouragement. If you've ever been with a group of people long enough, you might just wonder, are we actually doing anything? Is anything getting done? Are our goals being realized? And it's easy to be discouraged. Or another hindrance to consistency is a kind of raw and and rough individualism. That sort of says, I don't necessarily need gospel partners. I can just go out there and do it myself. This lone ranger mentality. Or you may be plagued, the issue may be that of idealism. You think you have such high views, high expectations, and when they're not realized, you withdraw. How many people have withdrawn from gospel partnerships because what they thought they were supposed to look like isn't happening? These are barriers uh, to consistency. But my hope is that when you come to this place on a Sunday morning, that you would realize that you are all partners in the gospel. That you would be proactively thinking and asking who is in my life 
that I can be inviting to come and to enter in and to hear the preaching of God's word. That as you uh, gather and speak with one another, that you would encourage one another to live out the gospel in word and deed as the Lord sends you out from this place into your week. But in order for that to happen, in order for that to actually be profitable, you have to show up. There has to be consistency. And so Paul reminds us that gospel partnership requires consistency. Another mark of gospel partnership is that it's prayerful. It's soaked and saturated in prayer. Notice, right, verse 3, always in every prayer of mine. And then in verse 9, Paul actually writes out his prayer for us. It's amazing that as Paul's thinking about his, his, his friends, it immediately leads him into prayer. He just is immediately drawn into the presence of God to bring them to the Lord. And I think it's an insightful point because Paul is thousands of miles away from these Christians in Philippi. How is he going to maintain his bond? How is he going to maintain this partnership? Well, one way is through prayer, to be keeping them in his prayers. And I'm very thankful for the saints here at, at Calvary. I'm glad, grateful to meet some of you and, and, and have met some of you uh, in other times. But the truth is, I don't get to see you very often. And for some of you, I may not see you for a very long time. But how can you partner with me in the gospel? Pray for us. Pray for RUF at Rutgers. Pray for me. Pray for my family. I ask that, that we would grow in grace and be used by the Lord. But also pray for one another. And you may be wondering, well, how can I pray? What do I pray? Well, I love that Paul doesn't just say, I'm praying for you, but he actually tells the church what he is praying. This is a very good practice. If you tell someone, hey, I'm praying for you, sometimes it could be helpful to just write out your prayer. Just tell them what you're praying for. But if you're wondering, what can I pray for my gospel partners at Calvary? What can I pray for Joe? Well, pray verses 9 through 11. Paul there he says that he is praying that they would grow in grace so that they would approve what is excellent. Paul wants them to grow in love so that they might grow in holiness and be better prepared to fulfill the mission of making Christ known. And as you go into this week, pray this prayer for your partners in the gospel. Pray this for the elders of this church. Pray this for the missionaries of this church. Pray this for one another. Pray God increase the love of my brothers and sisters, that they would increase in love with knowledge and, and all discernment, that they would be able to approve the excellent things, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come from Christ. That's a wonderful thing to pray, and it's a way to maintain gospel partnership. But finally, the third quality of gospel partnership is that it is driven by love. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Right? These, these passages just bursting at the seams with emotion. In verse 3, he says, every, always, in every prayer. Verse 7, because I hold you in my heart. And then here, he, he makes an oath, right? God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection. The word is, has this idea of with my, all my insides, my entrails, I'm yearning for you. Very emotionally powerful word. And that is how Paul can describe his relationship uh, to these believers at Philippi. Do you feel that for one another? Do you yearn for one another with the affection of Jesus Christ? 
That is part of what it means to have a love-driven partnership. How contrary this is to so much of our ways to relating to people. You know, so much of our relating to one another, if you think particularly of our online communities, Facebook and matters like this, all of most of it is largely superficial and about self-promotion. But Paul says, I want you to be a community that yearns for one another with the affections of Jesus Christ. And this is not mere sentimentality. He says in verse 11, it is a love that is, is concerned with knowledge and all discernment. It's an informed love, but it is a, a powerful love nonetheless. And so the bond of our partnerships in the church, not just in these four walls, but the church universally considered, is a shared commitment to and a love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The desire to make Christ known in every sphere of our life. And the qualities of that, those partnerships should be uh, consistency, prayerfulness, and love. But that leads us to consider, in the second place, what is, what is the ultimate end that we should be striving for? What is the goal of all this, right? We've said that there's this goal of growing in love. There's the goal of giving the reason for the hope that is within us. But, but is there anything greater? What are we ultimately moving towards? You know, there's a danger of thinking all of my activity in the church is so that I can make myself acceptable before God. Hopefully if I do enough for him, he'll let me in. Or perhaps you just find meaning in the church. It's, I'm here and I'm a part of it because this is my community. This is the place where I belong, right? Joining in a shared vision can give you very deep meaning in life. But is that all it is? Is it all about finding purpose for yourself? Do we join in, in gospel partnership because, hey, this is where I was born. This is what my people do. Why? Well, Paul tells us in verse 11, there at the end of his prayer, that all of this is to be done to the glory and the praise of God. Right? The reason why we join together in gospel partnerships is that God may be glorified. Now we say that a lot, right? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. What, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? I think what it means in this context is that through the quality of our life together, through the quality of our partnerships in the gospel, that God is made to look like what he really is. So that when people look on in your partnership, that they see that God truly is the only soul-satisfying joy in all of the universe. That through the quality of our life together, people would see their God is great. Their God is good. Their God is worthy of worship. That is to glorify God. It's to acknowledge in word and deed, this is who our God is. And watch us and we will serve for you as a mirror into who he is. And so friends, family, is your life moving towards this goal? Is the trajectory of your life to glorify God? Are, you, are we aligning ourselves with the center of all reality, which is God and his glory? You know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience uh, growing up in school or even perhaps in the workforce where someone gives you an assignment or you're supposed to give a presentation and you spend all this time preparing, all this time studying, and then you show up and you realize you were doing, you were preparing for the wrong thing. Terrible feeling. Terrible feeling. 
And we can go our whole life doing so many things, involved in so many activities, and show up on the final day and realize that we were doing the wrong homework, as it were. We were not living unto the glory of God. So we need to be reminded that always living with the end in mind, leaving, living with the goal in mind, because there are so many ways to waste your life. You don't, it's not just the prodigal son who wastes his life. It's the elder brother who wastes his life. He's living in the father's house, but he doesn't come into the house at the end of the story. You can be religious and waste your life. And so we have to, to realize that all of us need to be focused on the glory of our God to be living towards that end. That's what we were made for, for his glory and for his praise. And if you grasp this vision, if it's something that grips you and sweeps you up, it can really uh, fill your life with purpose, purpose that will last because God will last and his glory will last. But as you think about this, you may wonder, well, this, it's difficult, right? And at worst, it might even seem impossible to be uh, united in such a meaningful way towards this end, towards the glory of God. You think about our own frailty and our selfishness and the way that we tend to grind on one another and annoy uh, one another rather than living together in love. And so it's not enough that we be consistent people. It's not enough that we be prayerful people or loving people. But we need to, to know who is going to help us in all of this because it can be challenging, right? Paul is writing this letter from prison, He's in jail. The Philippians themselves, as Paul will say later in the letter, they are, they're being persecuted from without. They're being pressed in upon. And so it's hard. It's hard to be faithful to the gospel. It's hard to stand together side by side, striving towards that end. And so how do we, how do we maintain these gospel partnerships? How can we persevere in the face of these difficulties? We must see the final point, as Paul tells us, really the source of their partnership. And, and by source, I mean the sustaining source. The thing that is keeping them together as they pursue the glory of God. And it's this, in verse 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Because as you think about your own frailty, as you think about your own tendency uh, to drift, your own tendency to break off from partnerships in the gospel, we can be reminded that God is keeping us. That the thing that is, is holding our partnerships together is God's divine grace. And that's what gives Paul so much joy as he writes to these believers is because he's so confident that this good work that God has begun, he will complete. He will bring it to completion. And of course, that doesn't mean uh, there's an autopilot feature, right? There's, Paul says in verse 7, he says, um, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, right? Paul sees the evidences of grace in these believers' life, and he says, I see God is at work, and what he has begun, he will bring to completion. And so if you're wondering this morning, man, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it to the end? Know that God will hold you fast. 
You know, I, you'll have to excuse all of the uh, school illustrations. I guess being on a college campus, they come a little more naturally. But I, had, I was serving as a teacher's assistant for a professor. I remember there was this one student who was doing all the assignments, working very hard. Then we get to the end of the term. And for whatever reason, she never submitted her final paper. It's just all this hard work, all the hours. I knew how much went into it. And at the end of, she comes to the end, she doesn't submit her paper, and we have to give her an incomplete. All that money, all that time for what? And sometimes you may wonder, am I going to show up before the, before the Lord and get an incomplete? Well, the good news of Philippians 1.6 is that there are no incompletes in the kingdom of God. That the good work that he has begun, he will bring to completion. And so saints, rejoice in that work. I share with you the words of a a Christian who followed Jesus for over 50 years. He writes this. He says, as I reflect on my 50 plus years in Christ, it is indeed God who has kept me. It is not my grip on God that has made the difference, but his grip on me. I'm not confident in my goodness. I am not confident in my character. I am not confident in my history. I am not confident in my revered persona. I am not confident in my perseverance but I am confident in God. And so I'm confident in God. That the reason that that what we're doing at Rutgers University on a a campus with 36,000 students, many of whom are very disinterested in anything related to Jesus Christ and his gospel, I'm confident that God is going to do his work. And I'm confident that through these, these partnerships formed with, with you all and with saints throughout this, this state, that together we will see the gospel go forth, right? That, that Jesus' sheep hear his voice and they come. And so remember, in all of your labors, in all of your desiring to see the gospel go forth, remember that what God has begun, he will bring to completion. But this requires of us commitment, right? We need to be consistent. We need to be prayerful. We need to be joined together in love. And we might do this all to the end that God would be glorified, that the world would see that he is who he is, the only soul-satisfying joy in all of the universe. And so I pray that you would be encouraged and you would move forward in the strength of his might and not your own. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that the good work that you have begun, you will bring to completion. Father, we marvel at the fact that although it is your good work, you've invited us to participate in it. And not as individuals, but as a family. That we get to do so in partnership with brothers and sisters as we stand side by side, advancing forward for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would use Calvary toward that end, that the saints here would love one another, would love you, would love the lost around them. We thank you, God, that you uh, will do this. We ask that you would strengthen us in this way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.